This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Carice Hendrick. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. On these solo episodes, I will primarily be speaking about online fraud that impacts e-commerce companies. But if you're not in online fraud prevention, but are fascinated with scams and financial fraud, stick around. You'll more than likely learn several ways to protect yourself against cyber criminals too. Welcome to the Online Fraudcast. Happy Monday for those of you listening uh, when this episode comes out. Otherwise, happy day. Uh, Or as I feel like I've been saying lately, happy Blur's Day. Um, Every day is a blur during COVID-19. I'm not really talking about anything COVID-19 related this time. And that also means I don't have a joke uh, to start this out. And I'm very sorry for those of you that are probably very disappointed that you don't get to hear my corny attempts at jokes. Uh, Also, my my daughter's with her dad this week. So my source of very corny jokes from TikTok is not here. (laughs) So maybe next week. Um, All that said, I thought that this that today I would talk a little bit more about the topic that Brett and I brought up um, very specifically last week, last Wednesday, and that's on refunding fraud. Um, that's what the fraudsters are calling it, or, you know, I don't even know if we're calling them fraudsters because it's not using a stolen credit card, but it is still abuse and a loss to the company. Uh, that's what it's being called on the message boards. Someone last week asked me, what are we calling this um, as an industry? And I went, oh, I don't. I don't know. Um, They said maybe like refunding friendly fraud. And I went, can we please just stay away from the term friendly in anything? Um, So I've been referring to it as uh, refunding fraud or refunding abuse. Um, I think that there's, you know, we'll kind of have to break it all down. But uh, as a recap, basically, um, you know, there's always been people who have claimed that items are not receiving. And and this is specific to physical goods. where you know whenever physical goods are sent there is a little bit of a risk you are depending on your shipping partner as a merchant um and as a consumer you're uh dependent on whatever shipping partner the the uh, merchant selected to be able to that, that you'll be getting your package uh but sometimes stuff happens right sometimes it gets lost sometimes somebody steals it off your porch which Technically, I don't know, should be the merchant's fault, but that's a whole other side conversation. Um, sometimes I, I know there's been natural disasters involving shipping trucks, like, and, and all the packages got lost or damaged. Uh, things happen. And so because of that, 
there's always been a subset of people that have kind of exploited that, especially for companies that have generous customer focused return policies. Um, and to a certain extent, you need to in order to avoid chargebacks. But there's always been people who have claimed that they didn't get the package. Um, but now that there's just so much more deliveries via e-commerce, it's impossible for shipping companies to research everyone or go to every house that is claiming they didn't get the item and, and check it out. So. Over the last couple years, retailers have been uh, telling me that they are really seeing a high increase in uh, people claiming that they didn't get the items or that when they got the items, it was damaged or something along that, that line. Uh, different companies call it different things. Some call it did not receive. Uh, so DNRs, others call it inventory not received, INRs, others call it product not received. It, it really, the internal terminology doesn't totally matter, but um, it is good to know that we're all talking about the same thing or different things for, um, you know, whatever that is. So there's been a just a increase in those. And right before COVID, I had enough merchants reach out to me over time that I was like, maybe they just all need to get on a phone call with each other. So I set it up and it was actually like the first week that a lot of people were working from home to give you context. I think it was like the beginning, no, mid-March. Um, and then, I mean, I told the story in the other episode, but the next day there was a fraudster talking or low level. It was the episode with Jay, I think it was episode nine of the season. And he was explaining refunding and I was like, wait a second, that's probably why it is. So there's a couple different types of refunding. So one is just, you know, if I were to place an order and then I didn't want to pay for it, I would call up and claim whatever, right? I could claim that it didn't come. And if I didn't sign for it, there's zero proof. And even if I did sign for it, I could say, well, that's not my signature. Um, so those are like the individual ones. And those are a little easier to spot because chances are they're going to be repetitive or they're going to be chronic returners. Um, so that you can get a little bit more of a hold on. What's more challenging is that uh, these guys have set up business models where they basically say, here, I'm going to give you a list of the companies that I can guarantee a refund on. And chances are it's because they've trial and errored it out. Um, a lot of them are big brands. Some of them are really big dollar amounts. Like there's one company that can, for the last eight weeks, almost every refunder has been bragging that they can get refunds up to $20,000 for people on items through one of these companies. And, and the, the company that they keep posting it doesn't have super high dollar transactions. So you can get a lot for $20,000. Um, and then you just place the order as a customer and you send them the order information once you've received the product and they like especially once the shipping is all done right so that the merchant can't call it back and also you need to be able to claim that you didn't get it it would be silly if somebody it'd be awesome um just out of pure entertainment but it'd be silly if someone called and said i didn't get the item and they look up the tracking information and they're like um that's because you're not getting it till tomorrow uh, <laughs> but anyway so that um with these professional refunders, they're telling customers or consumers to place the order themselves, send the uh, order information once the order's been received, and then they know the script, they know the dollar amount, like that customer service agents are able to credit themselves without having to be escalated too far. They know exactly what to do and how to maneuver each individual company's policies, and they get 
a full refund for their customer. Then the customer pays that refunder 20 to 30% of the order value. So if it was a $1,000 item, they're paying two to $300 for it. Um, someone recently asked me, well, why would they, you know, why not cut out the middleman? Well, this makes it so that the conscience is clear and also the refunders have done all the work in quotation marks to figure out what the thresholds are and what to say and all of that. Uh, but also it means that as consumers, they don't have to lie anymore. The problem with really blowing this up into a business model for these refunders who are making like sometimes tens of thousands of dollars a day in doing this um, and stealing, I should say, not making. It's not a hard-earned money at all that they're earning. Uh, they're stealing it, essentially. Um, they like take all the work out and then they, they get their percentage and then they go on their merry way. I mean, it's really, it makes it 10 times harder because when there are individual consumers all over the country, I do think that this is pretty US specific, by the way, I guess I should have said that at the beginning, but um, however, there's a lot of international companies that have physical goods in the US, so um, I would implore you to still listen. I think there might be a little bit of it in Canada, little bit of it in Canada but I don't know how much. I think a lot of this is US specific. So the challenge is you can't just blacklist customers. I mean, if you're doing that, then you're not going to have any customers left. And there's really no predictive. Right now, there's no way to predict that okay, this order placed for $500 in as soon as they get it, this person is going to call us and say they didn't get it or someone claiming to be them is going to call us claiming they didn't get it. It's not that specific, but there are things you can do both pre-purchase and post-purchase and when um, the refund request comes in to kind of help with this, I would say your main goal if you're having these problems should be first getting a handle on the data. How many refund requests are you receiving? What's the total impact to your company? How many are for, you know, did not receive or merchandise not received? How many are for, uh, you know, saying that the item was broken? Like trying to find patterns and all that. I think it's important to have codes and then also subcodes. So you might have DNR, but say, um, you know, live in an apartment building because they claimed, oh, I don't know. I live in an apartment building. It might have gone to someone, but I'm not going to knock on all 200 doors. That's not my job. Like whatever the conversation is. So I, I suggest that much at the very least, because then you can start to track the claims and what type of claims they are and how you can maybe implement some policies to prevent those claims from happening in the future. It's very similar to what I do with chargebacks, just in a different, you know, looking at that root cause analysis, it's not going to blanket solve everything but if you can at least stop it from growing as much as it has been over the last few weeks that would be considered a win in my book so part of this that i find interesting is that you know the typical fraud model is that fraudster places order on stolen credit card buys item for physical goods, buys item and then places it on a marketplace for, you know, maybe half of MSRP. And then they have to meet up with the person and all of that or ship it or whatever and get their money. And it takes a long time for them to get their money. Also, it can be challenging for them because they have to make up 
you know, and they have to start a new device ID. They have to do all these other things to try to mask their location and that it's the same person that's placing multiple orders. They also can do triangulation where they may post items for sale that they don't actually have in their possession. And then uh, when a customer reaches out to them and says, hey, I want that XYZ, whatever it is, then they place an order. They ask for the address and everything for that person. They place the order with the legitimate merchant with a stolen credit card and have it shipped to the person who reached out to them to buy it for a cheaper amount. So they're not using their own card. Those are typically the two ways how physical goods are fenced from the merchant perspective. Obviously, there's a lot more ways of like fencing on Craigslist and fencing on Facebook and fencing, all you know, and selling all these different places and all that. But that's not really your concern. So now they've kind of flipped it on their head where the, it's basically like the DIY <laughs> fraud. I just came up with that, but I feel like it is kind of a good explanation of it. It's like DIY fraud, but you get a little bit of help just for the lying part. Um, yeah, so it's they're still making, you know, a similar markup on that on the retail price. It's just they're getting it sooner as well with less hassle. I don't know if there's any. Uh, intelligence or research into if these people who are offering refunding services are previous credit card fraudsters and like carding thieves on CMP websites, or if these are just opportunists who are good at social engineering. Um, But I feel like it's such a gray area, but it's like a dark shade of gray. Um, I do know that there have been people in the U.S. prosecuted for these things, but on a very small scale and, and not super often. Um, so it is illegal, but it's, again, it's it's kind of like a dark gray when you're looking. It's not black and white. Um, they're not stealing a credit card. It's the person's credit card that placed the order. It's just that they're getting the refund. But the similarity is that they've got your products and you've lost your money. So, um, you know, on the good side, it's not, like a chargeback where you have fees and fines, et cetera, but it's still 2X or at least it's the full price of the item and the um, uh, wholesale price of the item that, you know, you're getting or at cost, right? Because there's no profit margin. But still, that's that adds up real quick. So I realized on last week's episode after Brett and I were done, a couple hours later, I was like, oh, shoot, I forgot this. And then like that night, I was like, oh, shoot, I forgot to mention this as far as prevention and understanding. So that was kind of what I wanted to dive into a little bit today. So as far as trying to discourage refunding before it even starts, there's a couple things that some merchants are doing that have been helpful. And I have spoken to several retailers, even just since Brett and I recorded last week's episode, um, and have asked on some of these specifics too. So uh, some of this is my own information and as far as like what I would advise a client and others are things that merchants either have done, are doing, or are considering doing. So you can kind of look at this a few different ways. You can look at trying to deter the behavior 
by maybe putting some stops in place. Like if you have high dollar items, maybe you, and this depends on your checkout flow and your architecture. And and this was brought up by, you know, somebody who I think is really brilliant at the problem solving piece um, for a large retailer. And they were saying, you know, they've been looking at their checkout flow and the architecture to determine, can we put in an issue where, okay, they, we don't want anyone to buy more than 10 of this item, whether it's shoes, a handbag, a electronic item, whatever it is. Um, so a lot of times what companies do is they'll put a limit on, but they'll wait for the sale to go through. And then they're contacting the customer and saying, oh, you can only have five of those. Well, like that's not a good customer experience, but also it's a lot of back and forth and refunds and all this stuff. So what they've been working on is to be able to put that in place prior to checkout. So they still do an authorization. They do like a pre-authorization on the payment method just to make sure that the funds are there but they aren't uh, doing anything else. They're not settling the transaction and instead they're saying, oh, it looks like you have one too many of this product. Um, because a lot of times people will load up on whatever the item is that they think, you know, that they want. So that's one option and that I thought was pretty good. Um, also having visible return policies on there, um, on your site, uh, being sure and being conscious that they're not impacting conversion. But there's ways to do it where, you know, it's just like a friendly, hey, FYI, this is our return policy. The problem is people aren't returning items. They're just asking for refunds. For the most part, there is also return fraud with things that have been worn with counterfeit items if they're name brand items. I mean, it can go on and on. We can go into so many nooks and crannies of this. But um, for the most part, just specific to asking for a refund when the product was most likely delivered. But they're not providing you anything in return. So you can't resell anything either. Um, a lot of it, though, I think a lot of what you can do has to do with once they ask for that refund. So some companies have dramatically slowed it down. And again, this is everything that I'm going to say as far as possible solutions are dependent on a multitude of factors. There is not one solution for any problem in e-commerce uh, that relates to payments, fraud, chargebacks, trust and safety, anything that's going to work for every single company. It's going to depend on the size of your company, the number of transactions you receive, the dollar value of those orders. It's going to depend on your customer um, market and, you know, are they higher end? Are they lower end? Like, where do you fall there? Um, what products are you selling? All of those different factors. So all of those things factor in on a fraud strategy. They factor in on policies and abuse and all of that. So these are just some things to consider. Uh, some of them are things that merchants are doing now or later um, or have already done all of that. But just kind of wanted to throw that out there that uh, you'll still want to run these through on your company end and say, does this make sense for us? Will our customers be okay with this? Like the good people who legitimately didn't get an item. Um, because I will say, I have ordered a few things in the last few months and there's one specific retailer who I'm pretty loyal to and I've never really had a problem, but the last few months, I just feel like I the last three orders I've had, I've had a problem with every single one of them in some way. Uh, the most extreme was when I 
had uh, I received a box with my name on it, like the sticking, the sticky shipping label, um, like the sticker or whatever, the shipping label had my name and address on it. But when I opened it up, it was the packing slip was for someone else in Chicago with their name and address and all that. And the two items were not my size and not my style. Uh, and I would imagine that the two items that I was supposed to receive went to her house. Um, so I have had this happen as well. And that was like a legitimate thing. Um, but I did offer to return the products, obviously. Um, I also had, yeah, four items over two orders. I think I bought three of the same thing as gifts um, that they all broke, like really badly broke. And they're now wanting, like because of all these refunding issues back, the company now wants me to send these broken glass picture frames back to them. And I'm like, what's the point of that? Um, but I know that this company, it's also one of the companies that I've worked with on these phone calls. So I know that they're, um, you know, they're trying to crack down. So I say that because you also need to keep in mind your good customers, right? Like how much of a hassle is it for me to pay for shipping for items that are broken to send back to the warehouse? Um, so those kind of things are, are kind of weird. So you've got to balance it out. That said, there's, um, I think it's important to look at your policies, looking at, you know, how many uh, refunds people have. I, actually, I should back up. The first step is to measure and track everything. And that's probably going to be a really hard step for several retailers, especially those retailers that didn't start out on the digital side, that didn't start out on the re um, on the card not present online side. And because a lot of times those companies just aren't forward thinking. They're not as agile. They're not trying to do the next thing. They're just kind of trying to keep up with everyone else. And that's important too. I'm certainly not trying to downplay anyone. It's just um, when it comes to being agile with technology and data and all that just traditional retailers don't have the same amount of resources as the retailers that are all online. I mean, Amazon's the perfect example, right? I mean, they've got a lot more agility and innovation and resources to innovate and uh, move quickly than the traditional retailers that are trying to catch up with them. They also have a head start. They also have, you know, people in place that work there that are forward thinking or that have worked in e-commerce before. So, they're set up for that. But that is one reason why they have an edge because they're able to do things a little more nimble to a certain extent. Uh, <laughs> I just had to throw that one in. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, getting your hands and eyes around the data, how many refunds have you been having? How many, uh, how many and then the dollar value as well. Um, what are the reasons around them? Do you have a way to track the reasons? And I would say, don't have the reasons be as broad as did not receive or inventory not received. Instead, it should be, you know, not received dash. And then, you know, whatever the reason is. That way you can track and say, oh, okay, these are probably the refunders because we're having 60% of people requesting refunds uh, claim this one specific thing. Um, or other people are claiming that the box was crumpled up and everything was broken inside. So there's just different things, but getting down to a granular level, but having it in a drop menu so that your customer service agent can just very quickly do that. That also helps with reporting because you're going to want to see it in two different ways. You're going to want to see it 
per person. So you can measure, <laughs> has this person had a package not received for the last 20 times we've sent packages? Well, that's a different way of handling it than saying, you know, oh, we don't know who's that, you know, so you can handle that situation. But then there's also a lot of people that are doing it once and twice, once or twice at each company. So um, that's the first part you can get kind of on the individual level. But when you're having it in a drop down and not just buried in the notes somewhere, that's also actionable data. That's data you can pull to then tell the executives in your company, this is what we're seeing. This is how much money we lost to people claiming that they didn't receive it. And this is how many cases that we actually determined weren't received through you know, investigations, etc. So that should be your very first step is try because that data is going to help tell the story of how to reduce this problem in the long run. Maybe you, you know, there's just so many different variables. I don't even know what example I could give right now, but that data will help inform the next decision, right? Maybe it's that this zip code needs to always have a signature required. Uh, maybe, you know, I'm just throwing stuff out. So um, the data is going to tell the story and it's going to dictate some of what you should do. And that's the number one first step, which is an easier step for some than others. The next is figuring out, you know, how to prevent these things from happening uh, or I guess it's not just, it's preventing it, it's preventing the refund, right? Or doing some kind of investigation. So some people have found that slowing down that process has been really helpful, but that's for, you know, smaller retailers with higher dollar transactions. So some of these smaller companies are actually saying that they need to initiate an investigation with their shipping partner and wait for the outcome before a refund can be processed. But that's in a couple, I mean, sometimes that can take a couple weeks and that is manual to have to like keep checking and stuff. And shipping partner investigations are not what they used to be. They There's so many investigations. A lot of times they're giving the merchant the same information that you could look up if you just copied and pasted the tracking information. So they're not super helpful, but by slowing down that refund process, that company that's, that started doing that last year, I haven't seen them on any of these lists of refunders guaranteeing refunds for them. So maybe there's something to it. Um, they also have very loyal customers. Uh, they have a membership model, uh, not for all customers, but they do have a membership model. Um, and it, yeah, especially like for CMP and stuff, you don't do it, but there is a membership. So there's a lot of loyalty there. Um, they also just have, you know, high end products and, and all of that. So I think they're able to do that a little bit more. I wouldn't tell like a big box retailer to do that. Oh my gosh, they have so many claims that they'd have to keep track of and blah, blah, blah. But that's one option. Um, another merchant I know, I actually thought it was a really good idea. Um, they're tracking refunds per individual and any individual that has you know more than a certain number of refunds and it's up to each company to determine that um if they get to that point and then they ask for another refund the retailer says we need you to fill out this um legal document that uh you know states xyz you know that you are um swearing that you never got the package and, and all that. So it puts some onus on them and it makes them think for a minute because of the legal component. 
Um, I don't know. I haven't consulted with a lawyer to know if this is something that a company can go after a consumer for civilly because I feel like the merchant would have to prove that beyond a shadow of the doubt the package was received by the cardholder and at the end of the day this is just one big he said she said situation so i think that that's um but those are some things to think about i do think that those things are deterrents right because maybe it's not going to stop them from getting a refund this time but maybe it is going to stop them from doing this to your business again and and go somewhere else Um, And in fraud or any kind of financial losses for online companies, it's never about outrunning the bear. It's about outrunning everyone else with the bear, right? And I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that we could outrun all the fraudsters, uh, (laughs) beating that analogy to death. But, um, But we can't. And so instead, it's kind of about like, well, I at least don't want them to stop. I at least don't want them to be taking advantage of my company. Um, But that's also why I'm so huge on merchant collaboration. Um, That's why I've been hosting these calls for online retailers about this topic every other week. Because if you don't know what your competitor is doing or what your competitor is experiencing or what other companies in your vertical are experiencing when it comes to fraud and abuse it's all going to come to you once they figure out how to deter it. So you might as well keep updated and, and know what they're experiencing so that you can either you know know how they fix it so you can put those in place or get prepared or talk to legal or you know leadership or whoever else. So um, slowing down that process, having some kind of barrier for those people that are repeat offenders is important but then you've also got all these people who are just doing it once or twice i mean how are you gonna do that so there's a few you know the other component that i think um you know well that several merchants on the most recent retailer collaboration call we're talking about is just the responsibility for shipping partners uh so in the u.s that's ups usps fedex dhl on track in some cases um there because the merchant takes the loss at the end of the day if an item is claimed not to be received there's kind of this missing opportunity and component of the shipping partners working with the merchants or i mean the shipping partners should be able to know who's claiming that they're not getting it etc um the other is to have like a checklist for your customer service i mean it's totally fine for them to be nice about it please do have them be nice about it because i have to say when I called to tell that company that I got the wrong person's information, I felt like I was on trial. And I did understand that this specific company has been having a lot of problems with this, but I was like, man, like, I really feel like it's, I'm looking at this. This is not my item. I can tell you what this woman in Chicago ordered. How else would I know that? Um, I felt really defensive. So I would say, you know, and I think that's just a natural thing, right? And when you feel defensive, you're more likely to, demand to speak to a manager, make more noise, post about it on social media, call your bank and issue a chargeback, like all of that stuff. So it's just better if customer service is nice and (laughs) they can have a checklist of things. You know, did you check with your neighbors? Do you live in an apartment building? How about this? How about that? Just to kind of double check. Um, They also may say we want uh, all of our refund requests go through a review process. Um, or something like that. I mean, that might sound kind of scary to people and then they'll get even more defensive. But 
there are some cases where um, some merchants, depending on the dollar value or the number of incidents the specific cardholder has had or dependent on the items being claimed that the that weren't received, they may um, actually require like a manual review almost. And, and I thought this was actually a good idea for it's probably not sustainable and it's and it's not something that you can do in a high volume. It's it's kind of like the way we were with fraud like 10, 12 years ago. Everything was so manual and reactive because there weren't proactive tools like there are now, um, proactive automated tools like there are now. So there are a couple of retailers who are having like a review process for refund requests over a certain dollar value and that's done by the fraud team and just saying okay let me get a whole picture on this i mean sometimes you can figure out like the weight of the package during transit and then like when the ups driver or whoever the shipping partner was scanned it and then put it on the porch because they continually are scanning packages to track them and you can say well the item that you received was you know three pounds four ounces uh, but the item you tried to send back, then this is more for refunds, but just in general, like, um, but you're saying that the item wasn't in the box. Well, I see that you had something in there that was three pounds, seven ounces. Um, so that, like, all of those details can be really helpful. It's looking at the minute details. It's almost like a manual review, but kind of like a reverse engineering to determine how likely is it that this package was really lost. It's just kind of getting a set of human eyes on it. And if you... Um, you know, if you have a fraud analyst that just isn't very busy or, you know, if you can spare a fraud analyst right now, because for the most part, retail sales are down, maybe it'd be great to have them take a look and basically build in a process where customer service doesn't have the ability to issue a refund in real time or at least initiate it. Obviously, it takes a couple days to go to the bank. And instead, it's kind of suspended there and it's not processed until someone on the fraud team has looked at it because you will find certain clues to go, mm, I'm calling bullshit on this. So those are some of the ideas. I think it's also worth noting that there is at least one uh, fraud prevention technology company who has reached out to me saying that they do have a refund abuse product. Um it seems like it's primarily historical and also built around policies. So, you know, I'm talking about refund fraud, but there's also just a lot of policies around refunds, right? Like how many days do you allow a refund? And do you, you know, does it have to be in the box? Is the customer paying for shipping? Is the company paying for, like all of those things. So they do have some, you know, good products around that, but they've been um, saying that they have both historical and uh, predictive models for machine learning learning to determine uh, refund abuse. And I'm pretty skeptical of the predictive part, um, to be completely honest with you. But, um, you know, there's maybe a component that I don't know. I, I All I got was some, kind of some high-level sales stuff. So um, a lot of times you can't really get to the root of what are you actually doing and it doesn't actually work until you're doing a live demo. And I just haven't had the time or really the energy level to do it I and mean, i'm still if you heard the episode last week you know that life hasn't been like sunshine and rainbows over here for me or my family so um we've got a lot going on um my family member who um has cancer is having surgery next week and i'll probably be the designated person to be at the hospital and all that so it's just there's a lot going on so i'm trying but so i won't have time to do a demo that was totally sidetracked sorry um but um 
clearly it's top of mind right now and why wouldn't it be but um yeah so as far as you know all that there there is a product out there um there are uh there is one other company that kind of has like a database of offending refunders but i don't think that's really gonna help the situation too much because you know these refunding services are advertising everywhere they're advertising on social media they're advertising uh on the messaging apps like twitter uh telegram and discord they're messaging on reddit threads reddit sub threads um so it's all over the place i would encourage anyone who's wondering like hmm is my company on this list or whatever to look at you know because they are they're not on the dark web you can look at these if you download um telegram especially i haven't looked at discord recently but um and you just search your company name you might be surprised at what comes out uh, or what comes up also if you just search refunding you'll probably find a lot of links to lists of companies that they're guaranteeing a refund for and that means that these uh, refunders feel very confident that they can call your customer service and make a claim that they um you know that they didn't get the package etc and then they feel confident they can provide a refund uh what i do think is interesting is by each company a lot of times it'll say like the dollar limit that they can guarantee a refund on and then lately they've made, some of them have been getting really granular like saying we can only guarantee a, we can guarantee a refund up to x dollars but it, every item that you have has to be shipped in the same box well a lot of consumers can't guarantee that because things are coming from different fulfillment centers, et cetera, except for if they only order one thing. So it would be good to know what are they talking about, about your, your company? What, you know, how can you maybe change it up a little bit so that you, you know, lower the customer service threshold that they can issue a refund on, or you uh, change it up, et cetera. Um, I think it's important to know what they're saying. So looking specifically for your company, then also looking under refunding, because a lot of these posts that show the companies that they do it in aren't searchable in Telegram or any other thing because they're um, a picture. So um, also Frank McKenna, who writes uh, a blog and uh, the website is um, frankonfraud.com. Uh, very clever. He wrote a really good article and, and Brett uh, provided some uh, quotes and insight into that article. So um that's why we knew that this was such a big, important topic. This was already a problem pre-COVID. I want to be super clear, like this isn't coming, this isn't just coming out of nowhere. But because there are so many ordinary people that are desperate, either for their needs or for their wants, it's like someone poured gasoline over a fire. Um, and so I'm going to keep talking about it, not we won't do specific deep dive episodes on this every week don't worry but i'm going to keep bringing this up to people because i think it's really important um and i know that that's one reason why everyone listens to the podcast is because we you know really try to provide in-depth information about things that you guys may not know i mean maybe it's a different company maybe you're not a retailer but you're curious what they're dealing with maybe your next 
job opportunity, you will be at a retailer and you can impress them on your interview by saying, oh, are you guys having refunding issues? Um, so there's just a lot of you know reasons why it's important to kind of keep up on all that. But um, those are just a few of the tactics. I, I, there are techniques, I think, that you know I wanted to go over just some of the things that merchants are doing. Uh, so I hope that this extra information has been helpful to you and kind of gets you thinking outside the box and trying to come up with solutions. I think it's baby steps. It's obviously, you know, getting your hands around some data and some information as granular as you can get it. But even if all you can get is just your total refund amounts per month, I think charting those out on a graph to say, okay, you know, maybe for the last year, right? Like starting from May or June of 2019 on and you, or, you know, whatever it is you show, or you could show month versus month. So like, you know, January 2019 to January 2020, and then, you know, compare them, but show how much your refunds have gone up. If you have the ability to at least look at uh, refunding with a um, refunds that you've issued because people are saying that they didn't get the item, that would be very ideal and way better than just general refunds. So doing something and getting those dialogues started with other departments to be able to say, hey, did you know that this is an area that we're losing money? Too many companies are only focusing on chargebacks, but there are other areas to leak or you know bleed out money in an organization, especially an e-commerce physical goods organization. So, um, you know, having those conversations with leadership to get those conversations started. And when they say, well, what are you doing about it? You can say, well, this is what I would propose. I would propose working with customer service. I would propose that we, you know, work on a script or that we do that or whatever. Um, I will say also keeping in mind of having customer service be kind because you don't want people running to their bank to issue a chargeback because they didn't because they thought the person was rude. And that happens more times than you probably realize. Um, so thinking about the areas that you can improve upon, how can you customize some of these ideas and, and others for your company to make sense? And once you establish the problem, that then gives you the ability and the authority to try to fix it. And you will need the cooperation of other departments in this. So um, I think it's really important to explain the problem, problem, to demonstrate the problem, show them the links on you know these sites. And um, especially if you can find one that talks about your company, that will be very helpful. And then work towards a solution. That is pretty much all we can do. This is going to be a developing story. If anyone, if anyone who's listening is in retail and uh, kind of has a, a good out of the box uh, scenario or policy or process similar to the ones I mentioned, um, but that are different, please reach out to me. Like I'm constantly crowdsourcing this information and sharing it with others, whether it's on the podcast, whether it's on webinars, whether it's in one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, we're just really trying to get the word out because we know that it was already a problem and now it's just, you know, like I said, gasoline on the fire. So all of that, uh, I think I am going to stop talking about refunding for the day. Uh, but I hope that you learned a few things and I look forward to hearing from you and look forward to speaking with you soon. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. 
Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. That's it for this episode of the Online Frogcast. Thanks for joining me. I hope you learned a lot. You know, between Brett and I, we've got a lot of fraud to talk about on this show. So subscribe to the Online Frogcast to be alerted when a new episode's out. And please tell your friends and rate and review where you can to help others learn about these important topics too. Feel free to drop us a line just to say hello, or we love to hear what you like about the show, how we can improve, and what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can find us at onlinefrogcast.com, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or find us individually on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.